So this morning, we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 22, if you want to look there. Read along with. And it's interesting how God has been working in David's life that he would get David basically to the top, if you want to think about it that way. Yeah, he started out as a small child. So he didn't start at the top, but think about this. He's just a kid, and here comes the prophet Samuel to anoint him as king over Israel. You know, from kid to king in one shot, kaboom. And then he gives David a chance to show the entire nation what kind of a guy he is. That Goliath, the Philistine, is intimidating all of the nation of Israel. And he can do his little Philistine boogie while he says, give me a man, come on. And nobody wants to take him on. And here comes David with five smooth stones and says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts whom you has blasphemed and I'm going to give your dead body and the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines to the birds to eat. In the name of the Lord. And all Israel goes, yeah. And David becomes Saul's personal assistant. So now he's way up in the government. And everybody goes, what a fabulous guy. Commander of a thousand. Marries the king's daughter. Could you any, get any more top than that outside of being the king? So the future is bright and then David loses it all. And we've seen how David is hunted by Saul. He loses all of these high positions. And now he's a loser. He's even lost his future. How is David going to become king? That seems like a far-fetched idea. Now, we see kind of a turnaround. God has taken David down to nothing, made him a loser. And now, God gives men to David. But they're not the guys that you would want to have follow you if you were going to be a leader and be a king and all. These aren't the guys. These guys are losers. But that's the men whom God gives David and says, now, I want you to look after these guys. I want you to take care of them. King Saul is killing innocent men, the priests of God, but I want you to look after these losers I want you to be like me. And I want you to give these losers life. That's what we're looking at today. I'm reading in chapter 22 from verse 1. David therefore departed from there 
and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. So in verse one there, it's a continuation from the previous chapter, and David has escaped from Achish, king of Gath, the Philistines. He was trying to blend in, and it didn't work, because they'd all heard the songs, David has, or Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain his ten thousands, that's ten thousands of us Philistines, and that's David? That's the guy in the songs? So, David pretended to be insane, and they kicked him out, and he escaped. And he goes to a city called Adullam in Judah. And outside this village, there are caves where he hides in like a stronghold. And it works for shelter, security, survival, staying hidden. Now notice that his brothers and all his father's house heard of it. And they come to him. Now, these people have also become losers like David. That is, they've lost their jobs, their homes. Three of, of David's brothers were in the army. And because they're related to David, they are now persona non grata. They don't want to stick around. Saul is persecuting David, and they're related. So, they're out. They lose their jobs, their friends, their support. And they go to David. Now, David was the youngest in the family. He was the baby. He was like, who's he? And when David, you know, steps up to take on Goliath, his oldest brother can't believe it. He says, what are you doing here? Why don't you go back to the sheep? You know, let us guys fight this junk out. Do not be criticizing us, you little squirt. That's not there in the Hebrew. But, you know, that's kind of the attitude. It's like, what are you going to do? And now, they come to him. And he takes care of them. He says, yeah, I'll look out for you guys. And they're looking up to him. Kind of interesting. Now, somehow, this gets around. How does it get around? There's no internet. 
David's not on social media going, hey, I'm hiding out in the caves. I hope nobody finds me. Lucky Saul isn't on WhatsApp, duh. So how do they find out? People are talking, and people are saying, and it goes around, and there's this idea. People are hiding out with David. He's giving them safety. So others start getting this idea. Hey, I'm in trouble. Maybe I'll go join up with David. I don't have anything to fall back on. Now maybe these guys wouldn't admit it, but they're losers too. Okay? Like everyone who was in distress, life has become so difficult that they can't handle it. They're in some kind of dire situation and they can't figure out how to get out of it so they just run away. And they hear these rumors and they go, man, maybe I can get help with David. Maybe I'll just join up with him. So basically they run out of their difficult situation and go to David and say, can I join you? And he says yes. Now, these, the second group are in debt. They took on kind of a risk. And they said to a guy who had more than them, can I loan money from you? And they said, yes, sign here. And whatever it is they borrowed for, they can't pay back. And it's the worst possible situation. The creditor says, Where's my dough? Come on. And the guy goes, I can't pay. Give me it. I can't. I'll sell your family as slaves. So it's a terrible, terrible situation. And they basically run away from all that and find David somehow and say, can I join up with you? And then they're discontented. Literally, that's bitter of soul. And we read earlier about Samuel's mother, Hannah, who was in this situation where she couldn't have kids. So her husband married another woman who could have kids. And the one who can have kids is saying, nah, 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 I'm better than you are. And it goes on and on and on. And Hannah is made to feel like nothing, less than nothing, cursed by God practically. And she has to live in this situation where she can't have kids. Her husband says, I don't see what the big deal is. Aren't I great? Aren't I better to you than 10 cents? It's like, no. But she can't say that either. So it's like, ah, my husband doesn't get it. This other wife is letting me know that I'm nothing. God, where are you? And when she prays to God, it says that she was bitter of soul. 
She was distressed. She was discontent. It was like, and see, that's what these three situations have in common, is they go on and on and on, and there's no relief, there's no let up. How are you going to get out of debt? How are you going to get out of distress or this bitterness of soul? It's like, ah, and you know what? Life wins. Life is too much. Life has sucked me dry and overwhelmed me. I can't get out of this. Life wins and I lose. So they hear this good news being spoken about that David gives losers safety and life. And they say, I'll try that. Because he's their last hope. After David, there's nothing. And so they think, well, maybe something's going to happen if I just join up with David. So he becomes captain over them. Does everybody get that, that he's the boss? Because if anybody wants to dispute his authority and kind of push for their own way, does David need that? Say, hey man, if you don't want me to be the boss, the door's over there. So either I'm the captain or you're gone. But I'm not going to fight about who's the boss here. Now, these guys have run from authority all the way. They've run from their creditors, from their situations, everything that's bad, and they've come to David, and it's like, I'm the boss. If you're going to run with me, and we're not going to fight about this. Now, this also demands loyalty. When you come to David, you can't have it in the back of your mind that somehow you're going to collect a reward from Saul and turn him in. Uh-uh. If you're going to run with me, then you're with me. Does everybody get that? He doesn't have to put up with anybody who's going to sell him out for personal gain. If you're not for me, please get lost. So these guys, they come up to David, and so far they've not done so well with authority, but when they come to David, they have to say, you're the boss, anything you say goes, because he is their last hope. Now, David takes care of them, and he first takes care of his parents. This is gonna be too strenuous for his parents to be on the run with him. It says that Jesse was old even in the days of Saul. So there's no way that his mom and his dad are going to suddenly get into a Jason born running from the authorities lifestyle. Come on, dad, you're not keeping up. <laughs> I'm coming. No way. So he goes to the king of Moab and says, can you take care of my parents? And evidently that that works. 
But David himself is not going to stay in any one place for safety. He's committed to taking his refuge in the Lord. And that means not staying in one place. He's trusting God to keep him a few steps ahead of Saul. And so you notice in verse 5, there's a prophet with him now named Gad. And Gad says, you got to leave here now. And you got to go to the land of Judah. So here are people coming to David who are beat down with life and they say, can you take care of me? And he says, yes, I will. And David receives them, protects them, cares for them, and leads them in his refuge in the Lord. So he says, guys, we got to get out of here. We're discovered. How do you know that? Because God told Gad. Really? Yeah, we got to go right now. Pack up. We're out of here. So David is taking care of these guys and giving them life. And then in verse 6, it says, When Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Here now, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me. And there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. There's not one of you who was sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, and to Ahimelech, the son of Ahidab. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitab, and all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, here now, son of Ahitab. And he answered, here am I, Lord. Then Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you've given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day? So Ahimelech answered the king and said, and who is faithful as David who is the king's son-in-law, who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house. Did I then begin to inquire of God before him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand also is with David and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. 
But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priest of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who were a linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. Now Saul is worried and concerned about himself only. He's only thinking about himself. Someone has informed him about David's whereabouts. And he finally learns where David is and he is chewing out all of his attendants. He's yelling at them. All you guys are disloyal. Oh man, he's having a real fit here. You're probably working for the son of Jesse. And you notice again, he's not calling David by his given name. When you say son of your father without your given name, it is not very nice. He can't even bring himself hardly to say the name David. He does say one time in this chapter. But generally he refers to David as son of Jesse. That already means we're in trouble. So he says, oh yeah, I get it. He's promised you fields and vineyards and jobs and his government. You're all against me and nobody is sorry for me. Wow. Nobody tells me when my son has stirred him up to lie in wait for me in ambush, he's going to kill me and nobody's telling me this stuff and nobody loves me. That's basically what he's saying. Now, none of these things are true. None of them. You know, God loves Saul because he loves everybody. But the problem is, Saul did not obey God. So God actually fired Saul. He says, you're done. But Saul is still disobeying God and staying on the throne. So Saul has no right to be on that throne. He has no right to fear for his throne and be concerned about it. Hey, you already lost it. So you have no right to be this wound up about your throne, you're already fired. But Here's Saul justifying himself. He's not wrong. Everybody else is wrong, and he's right. And when you're that focused on yourself, you, yourself, that's all that matters. So you can scold everybody around you and condemn everybody around you because they don't love you and feel sorry for you. And you know what? Saul is not giving life. He is taking life right now. And you just 
take it a little bit at a time and you yell at people and you chew them out. And you don't love me and you're not telling me what I need to know. Nah, 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 nah. And that just takes life. It kills people really slow. But he's killing the people around him right now. And then Doeg the Edomite, he sees his big chance. He's going to inform on David. I saw David. He was with the priest. The priest helped him out. Now, he's not doing this because he loves Saul and cares about him. Doeg the Edomite only cares about Doeg the Edomite. And this just gives him an opportunity to get in good with Saul and benefit himself. And see, you know, if people get hurt, well, that's tough. All that matters is Doeg the Edomite. As long as I'm doing good, who cares? So this thing about personal gain, it's not a legitimate way to live. What benefits you is great, and who cares what it does to others? The Bible condemns that because it's not loving others. And it tends toward taking life, not giving life. Love gives life. When you're loving people and looking out for them, you're doing what's best for them. When you're looking out for yourself, what directly happens is you're taking life from other people. You're killing the people around you. So Saul summons all the priests in Nob, 85 priests there, and he says, you guys are helping out David. Now Ahimelech tries to reason with Saul, but Saul is not reasonable here. You can't give him the facts. And this is the scary thing about being focused on yourself. Only you are right. Everybody else is wrong by definition. And nobody can tell you anything. Now this is what it says in Proverbs 26. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now that's a scary spot to be in. When you're so convinced you're right that nobody can tell you anything, like when you're wrong, that's valuable. If you can't hear that, you'll never be able to fix this mess you're about to get into because you're so hot and you're right and everybody else is wrong. You're going to go like Wiley e. Coyote right off the cliff. The right way to go is Proverbs 3, verse 5, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. It's actually healthy to admit that you might be wrong. I know it's a very small possibility. But philosophically, I will admit that it's possible I could be wrong. 
and I'm open to reasoning. Can you imagine it will be healthy for you? You're going to feel better. It's healthy to go God's way. To be humble and say, you know what? I'm open to you showing me where I'm wrong. And actually in the Proverbs, it says that reproofs for correction are the way of life. So if you get used to that and say, hey, God, let me know when I'm wrong. That is the way of life. Well, Saul is to the point where he commands his servants to kill the priests of the Lord that have not done anything. And they won't do it. So he says to Doeg, you do it. And all of a sudden, Doeg becomes Darth Vader and kills 85 priests, their wives, daughters, children, babies, oxen, sheep, frogs, cats, anything that moves in that village, he kills. Now, where do you think Doeg the Edomite is right now? That is, he is silent and awaiting judgment. He's silent because there's nothing to say. God knows everything. And all he can do is wait for the inevitable judgment. You can get away with it in life, but you will not get away with it in death. And that's something for us to think about. The way we live our lives, where is it headed? Well, verse 20, look at this. Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. So here is Abiathar, one of the priests of the Lord. He should have died in that catastrophe, but somehow he got away. And Abiathar has become just like one of David's men. He's lost everything, all of his relatives, his job, his security, and maybe his future. He's a loser. And what does he do? He's all on his own, and he hears that David is taking in guys who have nothing. And so Abiathar goes to David and joins up with him. You know, isn't it strange that Saul can't find David, but all these guys who are in trouble can find David? Isn't that amazing? So Abiathar finds David and, and tells him everything. And David 
takes responsibility for that. Says it's my fault. Now you know, it's not his fault. It's not his fault that Saul is chasing him. It's not his fault that when he showed up at that house of the Lord in Nob that Doeg would be there. It's not his fault. He said, hey Doeg, I got a, I got a hit for you. I want you to be in Nob, okay? He didn't do that. It's not his fault that Saul is paranoid and kills the priests. None of this is his fault. He doesn't have to take responsibility. Do you know what's really happening here? That whole family of priests living in Nob are under the curse of God. And it happened in chapter two of this book. This is what God declared to their great-great-grandfather Eli. In 1 Samuel 2, verse 30, Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. You will see the distress of my dwelling in spite of all the good that I do for Israel, and an old man will not be in your house forever. Yet I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar, so that your eyes will fail from weeping and your soul grieve, and all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. So David is innocent. He's not behind all these grievous events, but he still takes responsibility for it. And he takes responsibility for Abiathar. He says, the guys that are looking for you are looking for me, and they will have to kill me before they get to you. I will take care of you. So don't worry. So, David is doing what God does. Jesus gives life to losers. Remember that the Messiah is the son of David as well as the son of God. And we can look at David's life and see these parallels with Jesus. And you know, one of these things is that Jesus, the Son of God, had to be made like us in order to save us. And you remember that Jesus existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took the form of a bondservant. He became a loser in the same way that David had everything and was brought down to nothing. And David became just like those guys that gathered to him. Losers. They were in debt. They were in distress. They were discontented, bitter of soul. 
And David became just like them, except he was innocent. He didn't do anything to get there. That's really interesting, isn't it? Just like Jesus became like us, yet without sin. Now, this is an interesting parallel that all these guys came to David. And you think, how did they do that? And again, the answer is somebody told them good news. And that's how people come to Jesus. Somebody's got to tell them the good news. That, you know, Jesus receives sinners. That's what the religious leaders were having a hard time with Jesus about. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. They're offended. Now, there is a funny kind of an idea going around that if you're going to come to Jesus, you got to clean up your life first. And you know, if I, if I just get off of the drugs and if I just, you know, quit being a foul mouth and I, I just clean up my life, then I can come to church. Then I can come to Jesus. <coughs> And you know the, the good news is that you come to Jesus just as you are, not cleaned up. And the point is, is that Jesus will give you life and clean you up. And all you gotta do is keep coming to him. And you don't have to really, really exert and clean up your life because if you could clean up your life, Jesus died for nothing. You really have to come to him distressed, in debt, and bitter of soul, discontented, and just say, you know what? I stink and my whole life stinks. It drives me nuts. Here I am. And you know, Jesus makes you new. That's pretty good. I think it's interesting that David was these guys' last hope. There is no place to go. And Jesus is the only hope. Not Jesus plus something else. Only Jesus is going to save us. Now, David saves the worst of men. These are my guys. Who are your guys? Well, they're in debt, discontented, and distressed. But they're my guys. Those are the only kind of people that Jesus saves. Messed up people. And you know, there is no one righteous. Not one. This is part of the good news. These 400 men... They were not the best of men, and they knew it already. And here are these priests of God that are under the curse of God, and there's Ahimelech, the chief of them, going, but we're innocent, we're innocent, we haven't done anything. But this curse of God is on them, and it's at work. And there are people who are basically nice people, haven't done anything wrong, really, but you know there's a curse of God working on them. Our great father, Adam, sinned against God, 
And the punishment was a curse that leads to death and futility. There's no reason in life. You work as hard as you can, you still die. You live a bad life, you die. Net effect is the same. Everybody is under this curse. And you can say, you know what? I'm a nice guy, I haven't done anything wrong. And it doesn't matter, there's a curse of God on your life. And I find really interesting that Abiathar alone of all the people in his family doomed to die under the curse of God escapes. He gets away. Doeg the Edomite, he's very efficient, meticulous in his killing, but one of them gets away. How could that be? Well, Jesus said in John chapter six, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. God is looking out for Abiathar. He says, you know what, I'm gonna give him to David. And then Abiathar finds David again. It's really interesting. The guys that want to kill David can't find him, but everybody who wants to come to him and is in trouble finds him. And then he comes to David and David says, you know what? I'll protect you with my life. They'll have to kill me before they get you. You come to Jesus with sins and with guilt and the curse of God on you and he receives you and takes care of you because he received your curse on him. And it's all fulfilled, which means that therefore there is now no condemnation to the one who is in Christ Jesus. No more curse. So that good news is still going out today. Isn't that interesting? And it's just this rumor. Did you know what? Jesus gives life to losers. Isn't that great news? That's what I thought too. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're merciful and you're kind and you care. Thank you, Lord, that we were all sons of death, just as Saul said to Ahimelech. You're a son of death. You're going to die. And yet, you had mercy on us like you had mercy on Abiathar. You gave him to David. And you gave us to Jesus. We're so thankful for that. Thank you for this good news. And I want to pray for this week that that good news would get around. That you would give us those divine opportunities to talk to people and say, you know what? Jesus gives life to losers. 
this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you do take all of our sins, all of our difficulties, our debts, our curses upon yourself. Thank you, Lord, that you sanctify us so that we are sanctified in truth. Thank you for that. Thank you that you give life. And we just want to say you're the best. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.